So walking through a botanic garden is, is something that happens a little bit on this program. Um, and it's a thing that I love. Uh, the, the air, the plants, the environments, that, that sense of, of subtle order sometimes and, and diversity and such a refuge in, a, in an urban space. Uh, normally when I, well, often when I do a botanic wander, it is, it is in the company of this man, uh, Tim Edwistle. Hello, Tim. Hi there, Jonathan. Tim is, is Director and Chief Executive of the Royal Botanic Gardens of Victoria. Uh, however, he is also author of a memoir, Evergreen, The Botanical Life of a Plant Punk. Congratulations on that. Thank you. It's, um, no, it's quite exciting. I, I found it so much more fun than I thought I would. I, I love, love writing it and uh, hopefully people have a similar experience when they read it. That idea of the botanic garden, when, when, did, when did that begin? We talk about a modern botanic garden. So you can sort of make arguments for Greek and Roman gardens being a little botanic, but really it's the 16th century and it's Italy. And these are medicinal gardens there for showing uh, people what plants they can use to eat, to use for medicines. Those sometimes had association with royalty and royal families, mm. and then they, they evolved from there and they start to get that probably displaying initially, they're displaying God's creation, and then they work uh, through to displaying, you know, as scientific knowledge advanced and displaying the wonders of the world, if you like, with the Enlightenment. So it's really about show, showing and understanding the plant world. And you've worked in some of the most lovely of them. I have. I'm now at Melbourne and Cranbourne, so the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria, and worked at Sydney, around Sydney Gardens for a number of years there on the harbour, and at Royal Botanic Gardens in Kew, London, which was a wonderful experience for a couple of years. What's the big differences between those three, apart from the obvious things of climate and so on, I suppose? They do share a lot, actually. In, in, in many ways, they're very similar, and all botanic gardens, and I've, I've visited many, of course, as well, all have these you know, common elements and themes and we, we put labels on our plants and we, we like a beautiful landscape and we do science. We have, you know, seed banks behind the scene. We, uh, education programs, you can sort of find all those things in all botanic gardens. Each of them has a sense of place. So it does the, the uh, Kew Gardens on the on the Thames. They also mm. have a second garden actually at Wakehurst Place. That garden is is part of London. A deep history. Lots of travelling botanists and plant enthusiasts come through. So it's a it's a meeting place. Very much a a, a meeting place for the world. Uh, whereas Melbourne and Sydney, perhaps it's it's more centred on where we are. Well, that thing of river frontage is interesting in the case of Melbourne because it, it loved the river so much it, it brought it to it. It did. It sort of sucked a bit of it in and then cut it off. Yeah, that's yes. right. And it, Melbourne does have this, you know, and I, I do say this probably a couple of times in the book, a, a very beautiful landscape and a spectacular botanical garden. And it is because they, they trapped part of the river and created a lake and, and gave it a bit of topography. So something Melbourne has that Kew doesn't has it, it, it hills and yes. views. and yeah. Yeah, Some splendid vistas. You, you just said botanical. So what's, what's the right thing here? What, or is there a difference between the two? Yeah, look, it, it's, um, I, I do at the very last page of the book. If you make your way to that page, I, I, I figure by then people will be asking that question. And the, the answer is not very satisfying because it's a... Uh, more a, a historic cultural artefact. So mm. American gardens are often botanical. English gardens tend to be botanic. In Australia, we use botanic, uh, Tasmania as botanical. So it's not any subtle sort of grammatical um, uh, nuance, if you like, about uh, w what's in those gardens. It's just habit of usage. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it is habit of usage, and and some people feel botanical sounds better than botanic. So you know, it comes down to local usage. I quite like botanic, but but it makes me think though. What what is that? What what is it that differentiates a botanic garden from a park? It's those collections of plants. So they are collections, like a museum or a gallery, and that's a that's a pretty important part. Those they can be living plants. They can sometimes be preserved plants in a herbarium or a botanical collection, a state botanical collection. But they, they it's also a place that I, I like to think of it where every plant has a, has a purpose. And that purpose might be for conservation or for science or research, you know, but you, you put a plant in there not just because it's, you know, you, you want, want something green in there that'll have a bit of red flower in the spring. You put it there because it has another story behind it. Those layers in a botanic garden are very important. The labels that you see and the names on them are not necessarily the most critical thing, but they sort of tell you something about what's behind this collection. You know, there's some mm. information being held in this and it's more than just a pretty place. Are you a good gardener yourself? Uh, moderate moderate to poor, I would probably put myself. I, I, like, <laughs> I like planting plants, so I love that. And, uh, and I, I, I don't have a, a particularly fantastic design flair. I sort of, I like, you know I, know, I know gardens that I like and I can see why they work. And after working in gardens for so many years, I, I've got a rough idea, but I wouldn't create a garden myself. The gardens of your boyhood, tell us about them. Look, they're very simple because my parents were school teachers, so secondary school teachers, and we moved around Victoria. So I started in Nil, which is not known as the gardening mecca of Victoria or Australia, and then moved around to other country towns, Wangaratta, Yaroa, places like that. Uh, ended up in Castlemaine eventually. But those early gardens, you know, I, one I distinctly, the first memory I have is, is mint bushes behind uh, a sort of chicken wire at the back door. Hard to kill. Hard, very hard to kill. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and that, that's it. That's kind of my, my recollection of gardening in those early years. Your, your mum remarried and moved to a place on the Yarra. Yeah. There's a there's a presentiment of things to come. Yeah, it was the 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 rivers and the uh, and water has a lot to do with my life. Um, and I eventually got very interested in the things that grow in rivers, uh, the algae basically. So these these lovely organisms, I think, quite beautiful things that when you look at them under a microscope. And when I we moved to the Yarra. I took up kayaking, which I, I still do, and I still, and I in fact, kayak back in the Yarra these days, which is lovely, but I've kayaked in the Thames and in Sydney Harbour and wherever I end up. But that, that association with water, it, it just sort of happened, I think, in the background, but it, it, when I got interested in these in algae as a, a study at university, mm. that's where I really got excited about plant life or, you know, life like plants and got interested in, in discovering new things, interested in science, all that kind of thing. I was going to say, what is, what is the sort of the academic or the, yeah, the, well, the academic path to something like running a botanic gardens? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one because people come at it from different places. Very, uh, very so it could be just administrative, <laughs> couldn't it? It could be a bureaucratic function. It can be. And in fact, some of the directors these days in botanic gardens come from a background that has no, no botany, no plants. Um, and maybe they've got museum background, but not always. And that's fair too, because a lot of the running of it is about the logistics and the budgets and the meetings and the people and all that kind of thing. What I've found, um, you know, quite exciting and what keeps me enthused is that you can talk about and tell stories about plants, and you have. If you go to a meeting or you're talking with donors or talking to government, you 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 love the thing that you're working in. You love the the content of it, and you you know. I'm sure that 
that comes through. But my path was not really as a botanist originally. I was more a maths kind of person when I went to university and physics a bit. But I got into algae and then I evolved through algae. I kind of... As, as have we all, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Quite correct. Uh, although algae have evolved as well in a separate path. If we, and then I went from there uh, into flowering plants and got really so enthused about botanic gardens. You know, I worked there on university holidays and it was fantastic. It must be, I mean, when, when one takes over a botanic garden, as, as one has in your case, uh, it, here are things which are so established, which are full of things which take decades to mature trees. The idea of bringing change to that environment is must be a complex one. Is it a thing to be embraced or resisted? It has to be done very carefully and, and you're quite right, there's this tension between particularly a heritage garden like Melbourne. At Cranbourne it's a little bit easier because it's a new garden and you can put new things in and you can show Australian plants in new and exciting ways and mm. that, that's okay. But you're right, and trees will live for hundreds of years. Um, But the thing I've found, and I've found this in working in all gardens, but particularly probably when I was in Sydney, uh, trees have a finite life and you have to replace trees and you have to take those big, bold decisions to... Well, I, I was leading to precisely that. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've taken you there. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your your chainsaw massacre of the, the Sydney Botanic Gardens. Yeah, I'd just become director of Sydney Gardens, fresh in the, in the role, and we had to take out uh, about 10 uh, Morton Bay figs, which people, of course, love. But because? They'd, they'd got to the end of their, what we say, end of their useful life, which sounds like an awful statement, but you... You test them, they have weaknesses, they're not looking good and we, they've got five years or so left. So we then say, do we take them out one at a time as they as a limb drops or do you take out the avenue and replace it with another avenue? And we decided to put take the trees out together and put a new avenue in and you'll find that's happening actually all across Sydney at the moment. So when you had made that decision around your, your board table, I guess, at the, at the gardens, it must have made perfect sense. It, it did. No, we completely logical, and and we'd gone. To, we'd done this we, every day. We're looking at trees, and we remove trees, and it's part of our day to day existence, if you like. And we, of course, we love trees, so we're never going to take a tree out unless we we feel there's a a reason for it. But it got into a very interesting territory because uh, while they're lovely trees, uh, you, a park does have to have tree replacements, and you can't you can't fence off every tree. Like one alternative is that a tree looks a bit unwell and you put a fence around it and you end up with no botanic garden or no park. So you've got to make that call at a certain point. So you made the call, the trees had to go. And and look, it was coincidental that the, we also had a, a new Lord Mayor at Sydney at the same time and she had arrived with a, an agenda of, of conserving and looking after the, the streetscapes and trees. Mm-hmm. So I can see, you know, in hindsight, I can see why this probably came as an affront to her. But Picked up on talk radio, became... Uh, Outrageous. Oh, well, that's right. Within a week, uh, I was, uh, it was uh, you know, suggested I should be sacked from my job as director of the Botanic Gardens. So here I was, you know, I'd been a, a, lo- a botanist, loving plants, moved up to in- into Botanic Gardens, got this job I loved, and I'm now being told that, you know, you, you, you should leave that job immediately. <laughs> so it's, uh, again, looking back, um, and somebody, uh, Bob Devis, who was the Environment Minister at the time, said, look, this is the perfect thing to happen to you, Tim. You need this early on in your career. The same thing happened to me. Uh, I'm not sure what for him it was, but you go through this, then everything after that is beautiful. Is and that present. true? Um, 
No, there's been a couple of ups and downs <laughs> since then as well, I'd have to say. No, it was it was useful, I think. It was very good to, for me to, if you like, articulate what I thought was important about botanic gardens. So what I found mm. I learned through that is the ability to go out and talk about things in a um, with, with a hostile media, if you like. You know, I, and I, up to then I'd been talking about plants, how beautiful they were and all that kind of thing. So I had to then defend what we were doing. I also found that I, I felt I was in the right and, and I was on a cause that I thought... If I don't do this, someone in 10 or 20 years will do it, and I can't just sort of walk away from it. So I was very, it, it made me strengthen my resolve and that I was doing the right thing. And, and the people who I respected also supported that. There's a lesson there too, and I think you're, yeah, I, I'm, I sense that you're very good at this in Melbourne, is is the, the public presence of the gardens and the way in which it involves a community. And, and a sympathetic community to the cause of botanic gardens? Everybody generally, except maybe a couple of exceptions I've just mentioned, loves botanic gardens and uh, you, there is this intense fondness and support for them and, and you, you, you know, you, that's your starting point with a botanic garden and they have an ownership as well and I think that's where those two intersected in this case. There's an ownership of the garden and the tree and everyone is very interested in particular uh, specimens when something does fall or needs to be taken out, there's a there's a an interest in it, and so I it, I suppose the thing that I, I did learn particularly is to, is do as much explanation and lead up to these events and to tell people the story of why you're doing it. They're revolving spaces, as as what you're doing in Cranbourne demonstrates. Yeah, I mean, what what what's the nature of the modern botanic garden? What's it trying to do? The modern garden, from my perspective, is is trying to do a lot, and I I think it is doing that science, that nature, and that culture together. And also, I think as I as I wrote this book over the last year or so, you know, coming out of COVID, I suppose I also saw it as a place of healing. So, mm. in fact, writing the book reinforced that idea in my own mind that they they have an incredibly important role there. But. Uh, so a modern botanic garden does great conservation work. We have bushfire recovery here in Victoria and there's similar programs elsewhere looking, you know, look after orchids. We uh, have education and learning programs. But I, I think the, the strongest thing and the thing you want to, and I want to get out of botanic garden is this love and respect perhaps for, for plants and plant life as part of our environment. Now, that doesn't have to be... Uh, a wild area that doesn't even have to be a beautiful botanic garden. It can be a, a pot on your balcony. But that that love of plants is our key message. And we can do that through lots of different ways. And I think a good botanic garden doesn't just have one thing that it does. It's not, you know, do we have a big lightscape event like we had in Melbourne or do we just do science? We do them both. Tim, thank you. And, and congratulations on the beautiful gardens that are in your charge. Thank you very much, Exquisite spaces. Tim Edwistle, a friend of the program uh, and director of Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria, and he's the author of his memoir, Evergreen, The Botanical Life of a Plant Punk. This is Blueprint. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.